Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On a Tuesday morning, January 16th, EW10 is your pro-life radio, TV, and online network. Stay tuned for all the major pro-life coverage coming up this week. And as you heard Doug Kegg mention on Friday on this program, so many wonderful events and activities that we will be covering for you. I head out to D.C., God willing, after the show tomorrow. And really looking forward to it and being one of the uh, correspondents out there in front of the rally stage, before the rally, then after the rally, just uh, walking around, talking to all the great people who are going to be there. And normally there are hundreds of thousands, despite what the secondary media will tell you. Coming up on our program today, a very, very pro-life show as well. Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt, he's a director of research at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation And this is all about Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And we're going to be talking about this issue. And there's been a lot of attention, thanks be to God, uh, on this issue because of the movie that came out last year, Sound of Freedom, which I was finally able to see on one of the streaming networks. It was very difficult to get tickets here in southeastern Michigan when the movie was showing in the theaters because it was consistently sold out and had a big impact. So we'll talk about this issue and find out what we could uh, do ourselves. It's such a big problem, but it's right in our own backyard. We don't think of it that way, but it really is. So we'll talk with Dr. Marcel coming up at 15 minutes past the hour. He has a very interesting background and is very familiar with this issue. And then speaking of life, being that we are, again, your pro-life network, we're going to be talking about a beautiful, beautiful effort to help people understand the gift of Down syndrome children. We'll be chatting with... Matt and Sarah F. Hauser, they're adoptive parents of a young boy with Down syndrome from Serbia. They're going to share how a life that the world often considers a burden turned out to be a huge blessing. And of course, we'll be focusing on the huge numbers of abortion and how many children in the womb with Down syndrome are aborted. Just a, a horrible thing, but we're going to shed some beautiful light on this with a personal story, someone's testimony. You can't deny somebody's testimony, okay? because it's their story. So we'll talk with Matt and Sarah, and that comes up at 39 minutes past the hour on a Tuesday morning, January 16th. Just a reminder to stay tuned, of course, always to us here at EWTN. And you can find the schedule for all of our activities for the March for Life and the Walk for Life West Coast on Saturday. The March for Life is Friday, but check it out at EWTN.com. Right now, three minutes past the hour, a lot of news to get through. A big news day yesterday with the Iowa caucuses. So let's get started, shall we? Well, Pope Francis is insisting that he is not thinking at all about stepping down, retiring at the moment. In Rome, Giles Gibson says the 87-year-old Holy Father suffering from a number of health issues last year, and there has been speculation that he could step back from that role. In a wide-ranging interview on Italian television, Pope Francis also announced that he'll travel to Polynesia in August and that he hopes to visit his native Argentina at some point in the second half of this year. But such long journeys could be a challenge for the aging pontiff. Last November, he was forced to cancel a planned trip to Dubai for the COP28 climate change conference on doctor's orders. Meanwhile, as Catholic News Agency reports this morning, in that very same interview, the Pope asked how he imagines hell, and Pope Francis gave a short response. He said, what I'm going to say is not a dogma of the faith, but my own personal view or opinion is that I like to think of hell as empty. Meanwhile, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says Catholic teaching affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell, where they suffer the punishment of hell, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. CNA also reporting about the upcoming National Eucharistic Congress, which hopes to draw hundreds of thousands to Indianapolis this summer, featuring now Grammy Award-nominated Catholic musician Matt Marr as worship leader. The Congress, the first such event to be held in the U.S. in over 80 years, is a culmination of a multi-year Eucharistic revival initiative of the U.S. Catholic bishops aiming to inspire deeper belief in and devotion to the Holy Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus. Set to open on Wednesday, July 17th, it will run through Sunday, July 21st. The Congress will feature a mile-long Eucharistic procession through Indianapolis, 
along with several opportunities for Eucharistic adoration with thousands and thousands, as we said, of attendees. In other news this morning, the big story we're still following because of the weather with many, many cold areas across the country, sub-zero tents, much of the U.S. continuing to feel that chill today. From Michigan to Texas, Colorado, just about, well, most places in the U.S. are saying the cold temperatures are either a surprise or simply unbearable. I felt like my jaw was freezing. It was very cold. You lose power, you lose heat, then you risk your pipes freezing. So, yeah, we might have to look into installing a generator just in case. It's overall just been a terrible, terrible winter, and it came out of nowhere. Plunging temperatures again are gripping much of the country with wintry weather responsible for now at least six deaths. For those, many of them were in Oregon while a snowmobiler in Utah was killed over the weekend and a Wyoming skier was killed by an avalanche. Around 150 million people again under a wind chill warning yesterday with those numbers exceeding, get this, minus 40 in parts of Montana. On the East Coast in New Jersey, residents still cleaning up and surveying, as Scott Pringle tells us, the damage from river flooding last week and its intense rain. Sandy lost her couch and would have lost a lot more if not for moving furniture to higher ground. We really haven't experienced flooding like this since probably 2011. She lives along the Rockaway River and is on board with her neighbor's petition to elected officials to build a flood wall along the Rockaway to protect homes. I think the flood wall is actually the solution here. We could try elevating the home, but I don't know if that would actually, that would probably cost a lot more. Meanwhile, the Passaic River is still above flood stage and is concerned about leftover flood water on streets freezing this week. It was a big night for former President Donald Trump in the Iowa caucuses as he claimed a solid victory. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world. As of just after 10 p.m. on Monday, Trump winning, according to Catholic News Agency, 53% support from Republican caucus goers in the Hawkeye State. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis trailing in a distant second place, receiving 20%. Former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley lagging behind in third place at about 18%. Next up is a New Hampshire primary on January 23rd, where Haley has been surging, though still well behind Trump. Meanwhile, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out of the race for president. As of... This moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be, there is no path for me to be the next president absent things that we don't want to see happen in this country. He suspended his bid after a disappointing showing in the Iowa caucus, deciding instead to throw his support to former President Donald Trump, telling supporters there were actually two America First candidates and that he called Trump earlier in the evening to congratulate and endorse him. An independent candidate running for president made a recent campaign stop in Atlanta, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., telling the Black Information Network he did not want to leave the Democratic Party, but he says the party kept changing the rules so that the current president cannot lose his spot as the party's candidate. Uh, it was rigged in a lot of other ways, too, that are complex. They had superdelegates that would make sure that they could not, that President Biden couldn't lose. So I, at, at that point, when it became clear to me that there is nothing I could do to win, uh, I, I decided to leave the party and go independent. He says a large polling house actually showed him numbers recently encouraging him to take on Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin now out of the hospital. The Pentagon saying he was released from Walter Reed National Military Medical Center yesterday. He was admitted to the hospital two weeks ago due to complications from prostate cancer surgery. And Brian Shook tells us Boeing now taking what they call a hard look at quality control after a door plug blew open on a recent Alaska Airlines flight. The company is planning additional inspections for its 737 MAX planes. In an email to employees, CEO of Boeing's commercial airplanes division, Stan Deal, said he'll bring in an outside party to make an assessment on the quality management system. He also wrote that Boeing has been trying to improve its layers of protection in recent years, but the recent incident makes it clear the manufacturer is not where we need to be. The U.K. Prime Minister defending his decisions to carry out joint strikes alongside the U.S. on Houthi rebel targets in Yemen. In London, Simon Gaitan says the leader reaffirmed that the U.K. would not hesitate to act against Houthi targets in response to almost 30 attacks on international shipping in the region since November. Sunak said the military action destroyed 13 drone and missile launch sites 
The PM said that this was in response to attacks by the Iran-backed group on international commercial shipping in the Red Sea and on the Royal Navy task force there on the 9th of January. The leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, backed the government's action against the Houthis, calling the attacks by the group unacceptable and illegal and risked driving the price of food up in the poorest countries. The opening bell ringing this morning on Wall Street after trading was shut down yesterday in observance of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. The start of the holiday shortened trading week comes on the heels of Friday's mixed close. Michael Kastner tells us nearly 40% of jobs, yes, 40% around the world, could be affected by artificial intelligence. Business leaders around the world, including the International Monetary Fund, are warning of the troubling trend that they say will worsen inequality in the workplace. In a blog post yesterday, IMF Chief Kristalina Georgieva noted the more devastating impact AI could have on advanced economies like the U.S. as white-collar workers are considered more at risk than manual laborers. A fake 911 call is being blamed for sending emergency crews to the White House yesterday morning. Officials say the bogus call claiming the White House was on fire. It was made just after 7 a.m. Eastern. Emergency crews worked with the Secret Service to quickly determine there was no fire emergency. Joe Biden was at Camp David at the time of the incident. This comes as several politicians have recently fallen victim to so-called swatting incidents recently. And Sarah Kessler tells us it's hard to imagine, but the world's oldest forest is just two hours from the Big Apple. Scientists from SUNY Binghamton and the University of Cardiff in Wales first discovered it in 2009 in the Catskills Mountains. It's near the town of Cairo at the bottom of an abandoned quarry, but the exact location, well, we can't tell you. It's a secret. Researchers have told the journal Science that the forest has rocks that are 385 million years old that may have been seen or even stepped on by dinosaurs, all of which are limited to scientific study only. It is a Tuesday morning. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN and this program co-produced by EWTN and the Ave Maria Radio Network, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. For more information, also, these shows are archived on Ave Maria Radio's website. So if you want to go back and listen to an interview, my wonderful producer, Andrew, usually has everything up uh, by noon or earlier. Uh, Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and check out the archive section for the various shows. Just want to remind you, it's still pretty rough out there. And if you're flying anywhere, a story just came over the wires. Winter weather continuing to cause headaches at airports across the country. They're saying as of right now, 1,400 flights within to or out of the country have been canceled and more than 2,100 delayed. And this comes a day after more than 10,000 flights were delayed and just over 3,300 were scrapped. Among the airports, heavily impacted Chicago O'Hare, Reagan National, Houston Bush, and on the East Coast, LaGuardia Airport in the New York area. Be careful out there. Be safe. Stay tuned to EWTN. It is a Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. Up next, talking about Sex Trafficking Awareness Month, a really, really important story we need to learn more about. We'll be right back. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. Are you experiencing spiritual desolation? Are you considering changing a spiritual decision that you made before the experience of spiritual desolation began? St. Ignatius of Loyola gives guidance in the fifth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. St. Ignatius is clear, in time of desolation, never make a change, but be firm and constant. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, the tactic of the enemy in the darkness of spiritual desolation is to suggest that we reverse the decisions made in preceding times of light. Into this trap, says Ignatius, we must never fall. Rather, we must remain firm and constant in such proposals through the time of spiritual desolation. Spiritual desolation is a time that calls us to constancy and fidelity. For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. 
Backed by popular demand is our trip through Portugal, Spain, and France. We start with a day in Fatima, following all the steps of the Little Shepherds. Santiago de Compostela, the ending point for the El Camino, is the home of the largest incenser. Visit the tomb of St. James the Apostle. Three days in Lourdes, which is quite indescribable. You'll have to come and see it to believe it. To learn more about your Ave Maria Radio trip, find the Ave Maria Radio travel tab at AveMariaRadio.net. Hope your Tuesday is going well. Feels like a Monday for many people as he had the federal holiday honoring Martin Luther King Jr. yesterday off. Uh, welcome back to work and thanks for tuning in to EWTN. A huge, very important topic. And thanks be to God for the film Sound of Freedom starring Jim Caviezel, which gave a lot of publicity to this issue that many people think is something that is far away from them, but that's not true. It can be right in their own backyard. On the phone with us is someone who knows all about this, Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt. He is a director of the Research Institute at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And we're talking about Human Trafficking Awareness Month, but also we need to let you know that Dr. Marcel is recognized for his work as a former sex trafficking police investigator. So, Doctor, thanks for joining us. First of all, tell us what is going on uh, for Human Trafficking Awareness Month. What's being done to raise awareness this month? Mm, yeah, thanks, Teresa, and just uh, to you and your listeners, just for this platform. Yeah, so uh, uh, the President, Joe Biden, in December last year, kind of pro- proclaimed January as Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And it's really just to, um, just to raise awareness about the, the very real reality of this issue um, in the United States, but also to demystify what human trafficking is and what it is not. You know, overwhelmingly, a lot of people, uh, you know, look at Hollywood kind of dictating what the problem is. And it's, it's far more subversive and actually uh, way closer to home than Hollywood often depicts. Right. And it's really just to kind of uh, imbue an even-handed um, knowledge base about what this is all about. That's really important. I noticed a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you saw the story, I forget which big box store this family was at, but they were shopping, and the family was right there, and there was a little boy standing next to the shopping cart, and a man came up and literally tried to grab the child away from the family. It's not like he was wandering off by himself or not being supervised. The family was right there, and luckily because they were there, they were able to prevent it. He was arrested, and he's being prosecuted right now, but this is, and this is happening again, as you said, right in our own backyard. Yep, absolutely, and it, you know, and it kind of manifests in so many different ways. So that incident, I'm not aware of that incident, so not sure whether it's a trafficking case or whether that was just a, a sexual predator, whatever the case may be. But, um, but absolutely, I, well, firstly, I mean, save for Antarctica, human trafficking happens on every continent, and I would argue it, it's far more systemic, just locally. And I mean, what we do know is, acute vulnerabilities that enables and perpetuates it, you know, uh, the addiction to drugs, homelessness, lack of education, etc. But then far more ominous is the fact that you've got people and often sex buyers, men, six-figure six salaries, that prey on these vulnerabilities. So it's not always just the traffickers. I think sex buyers, especially with the sex trafficking nexus, is a critical missing link that we often don't talk about. What do we need to do to get people to understand, as you mentioned earlier, it, it hits much closer to the home than we realize? Well, I think firstly is, you know, I always talk about the issue of peripheral visioning, meaning that when we go about our everyday life is to know that, you know, you know no, arguably no neighborhood city is absolved from this. So, you know, when something intuitively doesn't make sense, we see a vulnerability or we see a practical, you know, often we have traffickers speaking on behalf of victims of trafficking. Many victims themselves don't, don't self-identify or they don't consider themselves to be a victim of this crime. And, you know, when that intuitively, when something doesn't make sense, something is arguably not right, you know. So never to put yourself in a dangerous situation. So to call 911, you know, call the police. But if there is a question or a conversation that you can strike up with somebody that you deem to be in a vulnerable situation, do do that, you know, and have a conversation and, um, yeah, call in help if you need to. 
What did you see as a, as a former sex trafficking police investigator that prompted you to do this work now that you're doing with the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, Doctor? Well, thanks, thanks for that question, Therese. You can probably pick up on the accent. So I'm originally from South Africa. I stumbled across this in 2002 um, in the sex trade in South Africa, and that eventually led me to, you know, investigations, uh, transnational organized crime investigations. You know, I've done work in, in North America for the last 10 years or so. But, I mean, more recently, it was more about, you know, uh, testifying at Congress, helping decision-makers, lawmakers understand how this problem manifests, what's happening in the online environment. Currently, there's a lot of conversation around uh, artificial intelligence and deepfake and, and mm. the deepfakes and how those things enable and perpetuate this. But really, you know, once you deal with this problem and you see the very heart of this issue, it definitely leaves a, um, yeah, it just leaves you in, in such a way that you, you know, you just, this is what you do. And this is what, you know, countless people in the, in the States doing this work and, and this is what draws us to it, yeah. Talking with Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt, director of the Research Institute at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation and talking about, of course, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So, Doctor, what do, what do the media and Hollywood get wrong about this, this huge problem of human trafficking, do you think? Yeah, well, I think, seriously, it's, a, it's, it's very often, it's, a, it's almost like a, uh, a myopic or a very rudimentary or reductionist view of what human trafficking is. You know, often you have this, you know, the storyline is, is often very kind of linear. You know, you have somebody that's very, very vulnerable. You've got a bad guy that's usually big and you know, black jacket and, and sunglasses, and you've got somebody that's kidnapped and trafficked, and many, many storylines follow that route. But I think it's, it's far more systemic. You know, what I mean by that is often, you know, familial trafficking is something that's a problem uh, in the United States. You know, when we have, you know, other, other dimensions of the problem is runaways, you know, people, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, children on the streets. I mean, a Acutely, acutely vulnerable, but also the the, 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 uh, the inconvenient part of this is it's people in our neighborhoods, you know, white guys that look look like me, frankly, that are spending money and purchase sexual access to women and children, and that should never, 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 ever be okay. Um, and the other part is these laws, and unfortunately, many in many states we see that. You know, laws that prescribe these actions are just simply not followed, and people are not held accountable. and And big tech plays uh, plays a big part in the blameworthiness of the current state of affairs. Mm-hmm. I interviewed one um, former victim, and it was right here in southeastern Michigan, where I live, in the Archdiocese of Detroit. We have a wonderful ministry called Pearls of Great Price, where they they help trafficking yeah. victims. And there was a young woman. And the trafficker uh, basically started dating her, got her very interested. She fell in love with him. He came over, met the family, had dinner with them. And then he started to, it wasn't, it wasn't sex trafficking. He was using her for, for various uh, jobs. I mean, she was working, I mean, in, in yeah. horrible conditions. And I think eventually there was the sex trafficking involved. But again, this is someone that was in the neighborhood, got to know her, endeared herself to her and his, and her family. And then he threatened mm-hmm. her and said, I know where you live. I know your family. And if you don't do what we demand, we're going to kill your family. It was a horrific story. But again, yep. right in our own backyard. Yep. And, and again, to your question about Hollywood, it's not physical change always. Change, rather. Psychological change. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to use one example of a, a, a trafficker that trafficked his victim. And listen to this, Teresa. He took her to a restaurant every Sunday to see her mother. Wow. Now, the problem there is, is, you know, there was a, con- a combination of dead bondage and, you know, a, you know, acute psychological harms that she was experiencing, and she just never were able to disclose. I mean, we even know, we know from gender-based violence and sexual offenses that, that just in that domain, disclosure is a process and can take years to, to, to uh, you know, to, to come to the fore. So, so yeah, the, these guys are uh, the traffickers, and again, both men and women uh, can be traffickers, and um, yeah, very, very, very cunning. And uh, you know, they have a, a, an immense toolbox of of physical, psychological, and sexual abuse tools that they use. You know, and and the online environment and online grooming 
that's where a lot of this stuff is happening. That will be, we have another segment with Dr. Marcel. When we come back, let's talk about that because the media, we see so many people, even though there's so much information about, you know, less time with the media, different studies on how it impacts kids in various ways. There was just another study that came out last week showing the impact of, of too much media use on, on very young children, you know, toddlers and, and even younger kids who are spending time on cell phones or whatever and just playing with, with different uh, pieces of technology. But we have to be more aware of this. We're talking with Dr. Marcel, Marcel Vanderwatt, Director of the Research Institute at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation about Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Check out their website. A ton of information on this website on a number of topics, including human trafficking and sexualexploitation.org. Again, and sexualexpectation.org. More with Dr. Marcel when we come back on a Tuesday. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network around the country and the world, EWTN.com. Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt is the director of the Research Institute of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. We're talking about Human Trafficking Awareness Month. He's an expert on this topic. He's a former sex trafficking police investigator. Let's talk about the numbers. Let's dispel some of the myths. We were talking during the break about some of the, the movies. I thought Sound of Freedom was excellent. It's a very powerful film, very well done. I do wish, this is all my, only my personal opinion, because I've done, as I just mentioned previously, Doctor, before the break, a number of interviews on the problem, at least locally in my area where I live in southeastern Michigan. I wish there would have been a more localized example because I still kind of think you walk away from that, understanding it's a huge problem, but maybe not envisioning that it is really right in our backyards, our own backyards quite often. Absolutely, Teresa. So just very briefly, just to kind of dispel that idea that it's something that's going to happen in distant countries. Just, just two examples, very briefly. Um, the first one was a study of 260 uh, survivors of domestic minor sex trafficking. And then one in six of those trafficked children in the United States, were trafficked under the age of 12. Mm. That, is, that is shocking. There's another study that was done where the behavior and characteristics of a, a national cross-sectional sample of sex traffickers arrested for sex trafficking of minors in the United States was done. And they, they did um, research on uh, uh, 1,400 uh, sex traffickers, which were identified in a six-year period between 2010 and 2015. And this was one of the concluding remarks in that six-year studies. And the authors or the researchers state, while the demand for sex is significant, the demand for sex with minors is especially important to note. Sex traffickers of minors are intentionally offering children for sex, and adults are intentionally engaging in sex with children with no compunction or inhibition. So obviously that's rape, right? That's not Mm -hmm. engaging in sex. But the the point is, this is a problem, and it's not happening over there. It's happening in our own backyard. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about, we mentioned before the break, the importance of understanding the power of the media in this issue. Uh, What are your thoughts in terms of helping parents understand how these traffickers or those involved in it often reach young people? Well, technology, technology plays, a, um, plays a significant role in this. Um, um, like, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not just where, where children are or people, adults are recruited online, but they're also advertised online. I remember, and this is not a U.S. example, but I can... I can absolutely vouch that this is not an anomaly that's only happening where I come from. But I once was sitting, part of the work I did about five years ago, I was speaking to a trafficker. He was from West Africa. And he showed me on his phone, literally on his phone, boasting that he's busy building relationships with 74 people. A lot of them were minors. And he had six, six meetings set up for the following week to actually meet them in person. And this was all happening from the convenience of his phone. The one example, the one study I just referred to about the 260 survivors of domestic minor sex trafficking in the United States, one in seven of those victims were advertised on the street. Um, and they had more than 10 
buyers a day. So technology um, and, and new apps, uh, you know, I think it's, it's important for parents to know what's happening. Um, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, being a, a helicopter a helicopter parent, but, you know, building relationships and, you know, within the nuclear setting of the family, it's so so important to know what's happening on our on our kids' phones. Well, yeah, and I think it, it's interesting. I'm sure you're aware there are many studies that have been done that even though the various uh, cell phone companies do offer parental packages in terms of, of, of various, you know, warnings yeah. and whatnot and, and even uh, opportunities for parents to monitor their, what their kids' phone use, the majority of parents aren't engaging in those uh, technology, those things that are adva- an advantage to them. They don't take advantage of them. And, and not just that, Teresa, but this is also where big tech, not just parents, but big tech companies are not blameless. You know, some of these, to set up some of these phones, some of these phones, obviously, I mean, if you think about Google, you know, there is default to safety that's ha- happening on some platforms. But a lot of these phones, you know, it's multiple steps that needs to be followed sometimes to um, to activate all the different safety mechanisms. So, so it's a systemic problem that we have, and there's multiple uh, points of vulnerability that really enables traffickers and sexual predators to be bold. Um, so I think it's a, it's a system-wide change and a recalibration that needs to happen. And parents and the family is obviously part of that. Now, we were talking during the break. You wanted to end. We have about uh, two and a half minutes left, Doctor, with a good news story technology-wise. Tell us about that. Well, yes. Uh, thanks, Teresa. And I think, you know, we, we all heard kind of, you know, the, the hype around artificial intelligence. But, I mean, artificial intelligence has now officially found its way into demand reduction tactics. And there's one amazing, amazing example. There's many, but the one that's really encouraging is by Street Grace. And they have a little... Um, not physically little, um, is an is a AI chatbot called Gracie. And Gracie has 112 personas of, um, of uh, you know, um, young, young girls, but, you know, ages 10 to 17, personas that, that has been trained on from actual conversations and transcripts with sex bias. So what Gracie would do, Gracie is being deployed on online um, adult marketplaces or sex websites and um, you know when men try and purchase sexual access to women and children a uh, Gracie would uh, would, would uh, present itself and would strike up a conversation with these men or sex buyers and once criminal intent is proven or become clear that conversation is then transferred to a law enforcement officer mm you know, who takes matters further. So it's amazing how technology can both be an, an enabler of um, uh, the problem of trafficking, but conversely, we now see officially it being utilized to, to disrupt and uh, combat sex trafficking. Yeah, wow. Again, yeah, obviously we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as we would say here in the States. That, you know, there, there are good, it's good and bad in terms of how we use the media. We need to learn how to use it wisely, especially in this very, very important topic. Doctor, thank you so much for your great work. Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt, Director of the Research Institute at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, talking about Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Again, the website for more information on this topic and other issues related to sexual exploitation. This website, folks, you've heard me talk with folks from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation before. It is just a wealth of information and resources, statistics, studies, all kinds of research, and sexualexploitation.org. Also, action items, what you can do to make a difference, which is super important. Doctor, thanks so much. Thank you, Teresa. Have a blessed week, and uh, again, the website is endsexualexploitation.org. Coming up next, after the break, I'll be chatting with a beautiful family who adopted a Down syndrome baby from Serbia, and they made the news last year, a couple of national stories about the beautiful life of this little boy and why they want other people to understand the the world says. The world looks at those with Down syndrome as burdens and problemsome. That's not the case, and we'll explain. It is a Tuesday morning, 36 minutes past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to the Global EWTN Catholic Network. We'll be right back.
Catholic Connection wrapping up a Tuesday of the March for Life and the Walk for Life West Coast. The March for Life in D.C. on Friday, the Walk for Life West Coast on Saturday in San Francisco. We will be there. Good Lord willing, as I say, the creek don't rise. Full gavel-to-gavel coverage. And don't forget all the information on our website at EWTN.com. A big pro-life issue is helping the world understand the beautiful lives of people with Down syndrome. On the phone with us, Matt and Sarah F. Hauser. And you may have seen their story. They were on Fox News and a couple of outlets late last year sharing their story. Matt and Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Teresa. Thanks for having us this morning. So, uh, Sarah, let me go to you and tell us a story of adopting a young boy from Serbia, a young boy with Down syndrome. Yeah, thank you for having us this morning, Teresa. Um, adoption of a little person with disability, especially Down syndrome, had been on my heart since I was in my early 20s. And it was one of those things that I brought to Matt and said, can you pray about this? I really feel like we're being called to do this at some point in our marriage. And we were mm-hmm. newly married, and he probably thought I was just a little bit crazy. And we went on and had um, five beautiful biological children and after it was born, I asked him again, can you intentionally pray about this? It just has not left my heart. And the Spirit just keeps bringing it back to me. Um, and he did. And we went forward with a beautiful adoption, a long process, but um, just so wonderful of our sweet son, Rex. Now, your story made national news. Matt, I'll go to you. How did that happen? Yeah, so um, we had... We've been heavily involved with a the St. Gianna Maternity Home up in Warsaw, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a news outlet that had come up there to do a story on them last spring. Um, and Mary Pat Yonner, um, who is the director there and has run that place for 20 years, um, she suggested to them you know, uh, when they were looking for stories, she said, hey, you know, I, ha- I know this couple, you know, who is also fighting the pro-life movement, you know, warriors in it. And I think it's something, it might be interesting for you to reach out to them and hear their story. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own. We're talking with Matt and Sarah F. Hauser, a beautiful story of their adoption of a young boy with Down syndrome. Uh, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about, about your life and, and the story you're trying to share with people to understand how beautiful it is. Absolutely. You know, our lives are full. We have six wonderful children ranging from five to seven, almost 17. And they're full and they're busy, but it's absolutely beautiful what Rex has added to our family. The the things that our children get to see on a day-to-day basis of, you know, somebody overcoming obstacles or reaching a milestone and just being able to have that empathy for him but then also that translates into empathy for the people around them. Um, it's just beautiful to have the opportunity to literally see miracles happen every day in our little family. In terms of, of the numbers, did you know how high they were of how many uh, babies who are diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted? Were you aware of, of the yes. high numbers? Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's devastating to think that people like our son right, are singled out just because of a chromosomal difference. And the things that people will miss out on in our world because they're no longer with us. Matt, what do you think has happened in terms of the, let's look at the medical community first, because a lot of the pressure must be coming from the medical community on parents. Oh, uh, 100%. Um, so whether it's, you know, I believe, uh, what was it, Iceland? A few years back, they were basically celebrating that not a single child was born successfully in their that country story. with Down yeah. syndrome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think there's there's a stigma that um, that hard and bad are the same thing. When in reality, you know, people might say, "Oh, you have a child with a disability." You know, that's you know that's going to be really bad. And no, it's not bad. You know, there might be hard days, but it doesn't mean that it's giving you a bad life or having a negative, you know, impact on your life. What's so, what's so incredible about that is that we, we live in a fallen world. Nobody's life is perfect. I don't care what they say. And sooner or later, you know, it, 
nobody gets out of this life unscathed. So there's always going to be some challenges. There's always going to be, you know, struggling. There's always going to be suffering. But what you're saying, you don't even consider it suffering because it's such a beautiful journey with your son Rex. But it, here again, and, and I'll go back to you, Matt, first, and then Sarah. I think it's an example of people trying to be totally autonomous and control every aspect of their life to avoid any kind of a challenge or what they would consider discomfort or you know suffering. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, I I 100% agree. There's um, you know all around the world, um, you know, like where where we went to Serbia, it's there's an orphanage full of these beautiful children, you know, waiting for a family. Um, in part because the government over there, you know, a lot of these countries with socialistic health care, they don't provide the parents with the tools they need to to choose to keep their children with special needs. Um, so they almost feel like they're stuck. Even if they wanted to keep them, they're going to be so financially burdened uh, by this child not receiving, you know, services like, uh, Rex is blessed with now, you know, here in the United States. Um, so it's not always just the, the, you know, we feel for the parents who are giving these children up mm-hmm. for adoption, but also at the same time, there's so many of these children or these parents that basically feel like there's, there's no other choice right. yeah. uh, but to abort that child before, you know, it comes into the world. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what impact do you think the fact that your story uh, has really made national headlines? It was on Fox News and other conservative outlets. What kind of response have you gotten when the story went national? You know, we've had a really good response. We are very blessed to live in a very um, supportive community just in our hometown, um, as well as our church family. You know, there's always going to be people who are going to say what they want to say, right? There's always those lines of rebuttal of, but have you realized what you've put on to the burden of your biological children, you know, or the what? system of our education system? Or There's always those things that we always go back to, but his life is so worthy. He is so worthy of this life we've been able to give him um, that even though, you know, like we said earlier, there might be struggles and there might be hard days. They're not bad days. They're just hard, and we signed up for that the first time we brought a child into this world, there's no, we can't control, you know, what we are given in the hand of parents. Um, We're really just stewarding our children, you know, to hopeful sainthood. That's our only job. They're not our children. They're God's children. But how invasive, how utterly rude and invasive to say something like that to you. (laughs) What you realize what you're doing to your other children. Excuse me. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) It's just so wild sometimes how far and how fallen our world is and what people think they can say to each other. Um, You know, what people think that, you know, we are able to cross those lines and those boundaries. But it's few and far in between. He lives a beautiful life and has so many people who support him in our school and church community. And it's just good. So you're, you're solid. You're solid believers, obviously, Matt. Let's talk about your faith journey. How your faith is is helping you, and and I can't even imagine what some of these people being being so rude. That's probably, I think, a lot of it is the Holy Spirit in some way working on them and really kind of tugging at their heart, because I, you know a lot of people probably wouldn't have uh, you know the courage to do what you're doing, and also to be public about it in terms of sharing this beautiful story. And so it might be a little bit of a guilt twinge on someone's heart and the Holy Spirit working on them. But tell us about your faith and and how uh, what it means to you overall yeah um so Teresa, you know i grew up i was born in 1984 so i grew up in that i'm going to say that time frame where a lot of people or a lot of that mentality started or or was rooted in like say my parents you know it was if you had a child that was born with with special needs you know that was going to be oh it was going to be a burden on your family and i mm-hmm. i remember growing up and people saying you know, to my parents, I grew up two sisters and me, and everybody was, you know, multiple times throughout my life, I vividly remember hearing the comment of, like, how blessed you were to have all healthy children. Nobody had any disabilities or anything of that nature. So when I met Sarah, and you know, as our relationship progressed, and we got married, and she starts telling me that she's feeling that it's on her heart to adopt a child with special needs, uh, that was really hard for me at first. I was like, no way could I do that. Like, impossible i know how difficult even though i didn't know 
it's just I had always heard how difficult that would be. Um, so through the course of our marriage, um, like she said, she continued bringing it up. And it was finally um, in 2019 when I went on a men's Crucio retreat. Mm. Um, one, one night the priest in, our, in one of our evening sessions just said, you know, what is going to be, he, he posed the question of what is going to be that yes that's going to define your life. And I had been praying about it at the request of Sarah, and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew when he asked that that like, nope, my yes is saying yes to bringing a child with special needs into our family through adoption. And from there, it just my my faith uh, just continued to grow. And ever since we've met him, I've and he's come to live with us you know we were when we went to serbia we spent a week visiting him at the orphanage but then he spent two weeks at our apartment there and the first thing i realized was that i'm not doing anything different parenting this child with down syndrome our son than i've done with any of my other five other children mm. wow you know what I think is so powerful, and people don't realize this, any time, whether it's a situation like yours or God's asking you, you know, for, for a particular, to respond to a particular situation about which your wife has, has felt on her heart, or any other decision that we make, we often think, whether it's some conditioning like you had, Matt, that, oh, it's going to be, there's no way, I can't do this or I can't do that. And yet, when God presents something to you, it, it just becomes, as you said, you know, in the many stories that we saw online and, and on the different conservative outlets, it becomes what you thought would be a burden becomes your biggest blessing, right? And an amazing victory for life and for God. Sarah, we have about two minutes left, honey. I'm going to let you wrap up and just maybe as we enter into the big march for life in D.C. and then the Walk for Life West Coast, your message to those listening, not only here in the U.S., but around the world for life. We really would just love to share that every life is so worthy, whether it's the disability of Down syndrome, you know, whether it's another um, disability that we often see or maybe those rare disabilities, any time a child is brought into this world, he's just, he or she is created in the likeness and image of God. And however that may come about, those children are so worthy. And when we try to push out a certain population, we're really missing out on a gift that we have been given by God to learn more about ourselves, to learn more about our displaced in this world, what we are called to, um, the beauty that uh, suffering can offer in redemption. We're just really missing out on all of that. And we just really challenge people to just dig deep within themselves to give these children a place in this world that they can thrive and give of their gifts that God has given them. Wow. Well, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for the courage to share your story of your beautiful son, Rex, and and what a message on this week, Pro-Life Week, going into the March for Life in D.C. on Friday and again the Walk for Life West Coast. Matt and Sarah F. Hauser sharing their story of adopting a little boy from Serbia with Down syndrome and changing, hopefully, hearts and minds, as Sarah just said. Every one of us is created in the image and likeness of God. We'll be right back almost 53 minutes past the hour. Tomorrow we'll have a very, very interesting conversation with Father Mitch Pacwa, who's going to be joining us tomorrow on a Wednesday because Thursday we have a special uh, Catholic connection because I'll be down in D.C. in production meetings for the March for Life. But he's going to talk about the history of pro-life coverage as he knows it from his perspective on the staff of EWTN and the conversations he'd had over the years with Mother Angelica, the founders of EWTN, about the pro-life cause. It is a Tuesday morning. You're listening to EWTN Catholic Connection. We'll wrap up in just about two minutes. Stay tuned. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Jesus said his father's house had many mansions. He might have added the church he founded has many names, such as the tillage of God. The Catholic Catechism explains that the church's holy roots were the prophets, and the land was planted by the heavenly cultivator. The true vine is Christ who gives life and fruit to us, the branches. 
The church is referred to as Our Mother and the Spotless Spouse of the Spotless Lamb. Another name for the church is the building of God. The Catechism reminds us that Jesus compared himself to the stone the builders rejected, which became the cornerstone. The church is also called the house of God, the holy temple, the holy city, and the new Jerusalem. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. You're listening to Ave Maria Radio. Ave Maria Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN and Catholic Connection. Once again, a co-production of EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. Coming up tomorrow, as we mentioned before the break, more pro-life discussions. Father Mitch Pacwa joining us live on Wednesday, taking a look at the history of the pro-life coverage. Now, Doug Keck did a great job of summarizing it on Friday, talking about how it first started and all the interviews that Mother would do on her program with Nellie Gray, who you know founded the March for Life, and then how it developed. But I'm going to have Father Mitch dive even more deeply into the, some of the conversations he had with Mother and why this was such a huge issue for us. And Doug alluded to that also on Friday, talking about the Blessed Mother's, or excuse me, Mother Angelica's love for the baby Jesus. So it's a beautiful story of her dedication, which has now just blossomed into amazing pro-life coverage. Nobody does the coverage like we do. Just saying, if you don't believe us, if you haven't seen it, tune in. Trust me, it's amazing. Literally gavel-to-gavel coverage. Also, we go to Rome. Joan Lewis will have information on the latest comments from the Pope regarding hell and other things, and also continued fallout from the uh, Blessings document and the follow-up to those books written by Fernandez. Never a dull moment. We keep you informed. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.